Well, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me now to Acts chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 40 and move down through chapter 16, verse 10, and uh, we're now seeing uh, Paul and Silas are going to be launched out on the second missionary journey. The last time we looked at the uh, disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had over whether or not John Mark should be included. And uh, so the uh, uh, differences were so strong and apparently so uh, persistent that they decided to divide from one another. So Barnabas took John Mark and they went back to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from. So he goes back to his home island, if you will, and carries on the ministry there. And Paul chooses another co-laborer and begins to take the land route back around to go up into the Galatian region and minister to the churches they founded in the first missionary journey. So that's where we're at, starting in chapter 15 of Acts, verse 40. And as I read this passage for you, again, I remind you we're reading the inspired Word of Almighty God. The Word that is designed to bless us and edify us and encourage us and conform us to the image of Christ. So please give careful attention to the reading of God's inspired and holy Word. Verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night of man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And may God bless the reading of his word. Well, I think what we see in this this passage is another marvelous Example of God guiding His people by His providence. And I think we see a clear uh, picture within the passage 
of how God will close doors and open doors in order to guide His people, and in this case, His missionaries, to the place He wants them to be. And it raises the whole notion of this wonderful doctrine of the providence of God. I want to begin by, in my introduction, by just reviewing this particular doctrine because it's, it's the watermark that's behind every letter that's on this, this passage in front of us. So the providence of God, the, the guidance of God's providence is really what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Let me begin by giving you a definition of God's providence. This comes from the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And these are theologians that put this together, so they're very precise, they're very inclusive. So it's a, it's a pretty long definition, very much uh, uh, one that you have to read several times to catch it all. But I'll just read it. The providence of God teaches that God, the good creator of all things, in His infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created, according unto His infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And that's a mouthful to say the least. But basically God's providence is God's sovereignty to rule completely over the universe that He has made and created. So that all details using God's direct intervention or secondary causes, God ultimately controls and directs and steers to accomplish His purpose for His glory. That's the providence of God. So that uh, when we are, are living out our lives and we run into closed doors like Paul and Silas and Timothy are going to run into in our passage, we need to have the mindset that God is in control. And that's why we read in certain Proverbs, Proverbs 16.9, one of my favorite Proverbs, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. There are times when you make a plan that you're going to go this way, and God chooses to short-circuit your plan and send you this way. So the mind of man plans his way. It's good to make plans. But it's the Lord who will direct your steps. His providence will overrule your plans at times and send you in a different direction. Proverbs 19.21 Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. It's the plans in God's heart that will stand. They're immutable. They're sovereign. They're in control. So we see that uh, ultimately this is what's going to happen on this missionary journey. Paul and Silas and Timothy have a plan. But God's going to direct their steps in a different direction. And we need, to, we need to understand and learn this lesson well because it's going to happen in your life. It's happening in some of your lives right now. 
And we just need to learn to submit and yield and see the betterment of God's plan over our plan. So let's uh, begin and uh, as we uh, begin to examine this, because our God is a God who, whose providence rules over all of life. All the circumstances of your life. There really is no such thing as luck or chance or coincidence. Someone once said that a coincidence is just when God chooses to remain anonymous. And that's really true. Uh, you say, well, that just happened by a coincidence. That, that was just a coincidence. No, God did it, but He chose not to stamp His name on it real clearly so that you, so He remains behind the scenes. But He's still in control. He's still bringing it to pass. And God's providence will rule over every area of your life as well as mine. Your days are numbered by His providence. Your breaths are controlled by His providence. He raises up kings and brings them down. He controls the king's heart and turns it like streams of water in the hands of the Lord by His providence. He controls the the actions of the wicked. He controls the winds and the waves and the stars that move in the heavens. He controls the movement of fish in the water and He can divide the seas if He so chooses. And not even a lowly sparrow can fall to the ground apart from the will of our Father. His providence rules over everything. Every circumstance. Every aspect of our life. And God, God's providence controls all the doors of the universe. The ones that slam shut. And the doors that open wide. And we need to learn to yield to God's will in these matters. So again, let's begin back in chapter 15, verse 40. We find that Paul is now assembling a new team. And we find in verse 40 that Paul chose Silas and left being committed to the brethren, uh, by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So the first uh, new team member, now that Barnabas is not there, John Mark is not there, is that Paul chooses Silas. What do we know about Silas? Well, we know that he's one of the prophets that came from the church of Jerusalem in chapter 15, verse 32. He was also a leader in the Jerusalem church, so he was a man of great maturity and great character. He was also a Roman citizen, according to chapter 16, verse 37. And that's going to be very, very important as the Lord is now going to be launching Paul out into other areas of the Roman Empire to have a co-worker that is also a Roman citizen like Paul himself is will be greatly to their advantage. And he probably knew Greek because he was one of the guys that the leaders and elders at Jerusalem sent up to Antioch to preach to the Greeks and to bring the, the letter that they had decided on in the Jerusalem council. So he was a very gifted uh, man. He was a prophet. He was a leader. He was mature. He was a Roman citizen. He was educated. And uh, Paul chose him to be uh, his, uh, his primary traveling companion. So he's basically taking the place of Barnabas. So Silas is there and will be a tremendous uh, blessing uh, to the Apostle Paul in many, many ways. 
We read in uh, chapter 16, well, uh, verse 41 of chapter 15, they're traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. So now he's going to add Timothy to his team as well. So what do we know about Timothy? Well, we're told in this passage that his uh, in verse 1 that he was a son of a Jewish mother but a Greek father. So he was half Jew and half Gentile. And the benefit of this to Paul's missionary team was that he could therefore bridge both cultures, the Jewish culture and the Greek culture because his roots go back into both. He was also a man of good reputation in verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were not only in Lystra, but also Iconium. So two of these churches in two different towns approved him and said, yeah, this is a good man. And that spoke to his maturity in the things of the Gospel and in the Word of God. We also know that he was willing to be circumcised to avoid offending the Jews in verse 3. And this was a very important aspect because Paul knew that they were still going to go to the Jew first so they would, every new city they went into, they're going to go to the synagogue first. And if you have an uncircumcised man who's half Jew and half Gentile, he's, he's going to be kept out. He's not going to be able to have the ministry to the Jews. And so to his credit, Timothy as a man was willing to submit to circumcision not because it was a salvation issue. That's clearly, that's already been resolved at the Jerusalem Council. And remember in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul comes down to the Jerusalem Council, in Galatians 2, he says, we brought Titus with us, who was also uncircumcised, and he was not compelled to be circumcised. So when the Gospel is at stake, clearly circumcision is not necessary for salvation. But this is not a salvation issue. This is a ministry issue. And Titus, excuse me, Timothy is willing to undergo circumcision merely for the sake of removing some of the offense in ministering to the Jews. So he was willing to pay a price just so he could reach out with the gospel more effectively to other people. Reminds me of Hudson Taylor in China. Uh, Hudson Taylor realized that uh, wherever he went when he was in China, he was being referred to as the black devil. And the reason why is because he wore his long English black overcoat. Because that's what you do in England. And so all the Chinese would look at him and call him the black devil. And so he realized if he was going to have any effective ministry among them, he would have to adopt and wear the native Chinese clothing. So he set aside his western clothes, he put on the Chinese national clothing, and even chose to cut his hair the same way, so he shaved his forehead and wore the traditional Chinese pigtail that hung around in in the back. And he was criticized for that. But he was more accepted by the Chinese people because he looked more like them. And it just shows that he was... He was willing to make that sacrifice to gain an audience and not create an unnecessary disturbance 
and barrier to the gospel. He was willing to accommodate on these secondary issues. And that was very rare among missionaries of his day, but it followed the principle laid down by Paul in dealing with secondary issues or issues of expediency or accommodation. When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.20 to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. And I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. So Hudson Taylor was was willing to sacrifice and accommodate for the sake of the gospel. Not a salvation issue. Same thing with Timothy. He was a man who was willing to do that. We also know that he came from a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Uh, Paul references them. His uh, godly mother brought him up in the Scriptures, even though he, he never was circumcised, but he was taught the Scriptures by his Jewish mother. We don't know about his Greek father. Maybe he died in, when he was young. We don't know. There's not any information on him. But uh, he had that type of good spiritual foundation from his grandmother and his, and his mother who were Jews. We also learn that he was probably converted at Lystra in Paul's first missionary journey. That's where they first heard the Gospel. So they they knew the Scriptures, they knew something about the Messiah, and when Paul showed up in the first missionary journey, began to preach the Gospel, apparently that's when when, uh, Timothy came to faith. Maybe he witnessed Paul being stoned at Lystra. And maybe saw the incredible grace of God where he got back up and went back into Lystra. And then a little while later, after they went to Derby and back, he came back and ministered to the Christians at Lystra. And maybe that just drew him. We don't know why but or how the Lord saved him, but apparently it was at that time when Paul was there preaching. And we also know that Timothy will become a a tremendous blessing to the Apostle Paul throughout his life and ministry. Uh, Paul will write two letters in our New Testament directly to Timothy. And six of his other letters include greetings from Timothy to those particular churches. Timothy served faithfully at Ephesus and at Corinth, and he was with Paul in his first, his first imprisonment in Rome. Timothy had a pastor's heart. He was good at counseling, good at handling disputes, good at bringing biblical wisdom, dealing with the complexities of life. He was a man who who knew how to build up the saints and he loved other people. Paul described Timothy this way in Philippians chapter 2. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Everybody else is too involved in themselves. They're their little world. But Timothy, no, Timothy, he loves you and he's, he's concerned about you. This is the kind of heart that Timothy had. He put his interests behind their interests. He was also a man of proven worth to Paul and to the churches. He was a great addition to the team. So we've got this new team formed and let's back up to verse 41 because now we see that uh, uh, basically they're going to launch out of Antioch, Syria and they're going to travel their way north 
And they're going to go into Syria, out of Syria, which is where Antioch is. And they're going to be moving into Cilicia, where Tarsus is. That's Paul's hometown. And they're going to be ministering uh, the gospel along the way. So they're going to take the land route. And uh, it's interesting to get to, to um, ultimately to Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch Pisidian. They've got to go through the Cilician Gates, which is a mountain range. And I love mountains, so this is just, this is for me, but you can look at them if you want to. The Cilician Gates just gives you an idea of where they traveled. There's very few places to cross through the Tarsus Mountains. And this is probably the route that Paul and Silas took on their way to Galatia. So they got to go through this mountain range. And this is one of the few passes you can get through it. So they're going through this uh, particular mountain range. Here's a modern highway that goes through there. There's one of the uh, more ancient pathway that may very well have been what they walked through to get through these mountains. And this is a, there was a Roman road that went through there, a very important Roman road that they would have traveled on. Alexander the Great traveled on it. Uh, the Hittites traveled on it. Uh, the Greeks traveled on it. The Romans traveled on it. The Mongols, the Crusaders later on, and Paul and Silas. This was a very important road because you couldn't get through those mountains in very many other places. So this is a type of road that they would have walked on. So they finally go through the Cilician Gates. They end up in Derby. They minister to Derby in, in chapter 16, verse 1. They go on to Lystra. And that's where they meet up with, uh, with uh, Timothy there and bring him on to their team. And if you notice at the end of verse 1, as they're traveling along, they're strengthening the churches. And this is one of those expressions that Luke uh, loves to use. Only Luke uses this particular word. And he uses it four times in the book of Acts. As they go, they're strengthening the churches. That means in strengthening them, they're taking these disciples who are still relatively young in the Lord and they're making them strong and more firm and more in changing, unchanging in their attitude and beliefs. Because the Gospel is being attacked and, and they need to be strengthened. They're helping them to grow in their resolve to be committed to Jesus Christ. To remain true to Him in the Scriptures, especially in the face of opposition. They're strengthening the churches. Helping them in their witness to the pagan society in which they live. So as they go, they are ministering, they are encouraging, they're teaching, they're strengthening the churches. And the same thing that we see as they're going through this part of Galatia. And you can drop down again and you can see in verse 5, for example, that the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So that was the purpose of the second missionary journey. They're going to begin by going to the churches they had already founded and continue to grow them up in the Lord, grow them in their faith, strengthen them. And the churches were increasing daily. Because the people had a heart to share the gospel. 
The people wanted the lost people around them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a heart to share their faith at work and in social engagements, in their hobbies or in sports or wherever they're at. They had a heart to share the gospel with other people. And praise God for that. Then they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. And uh, then they start running into some roadblocks. So they're on their way now and uh, they're uh, gone through Derby. They've gone through Lystra. They've gone up to Iconium. Now they're at Pisidian Antioch, which is basically right. Well, you probably can't see it, but it's, uh, I think it's right about right there. Pisidian Antioch. And so now they're there, they've, they've ministered, they strengthen the church, and we pick it up in verse 6, that they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So now their intention, apparently, their plan, the mind of man plans his way, their plan was to go straight west and probably go down to Ephesus. And again, Ephesus is right here. So from this region, they were going to plan on going straight west. That's what was in their mind. That's what their plan was. But the Holy Spirit, how we don't know, in verse 6, the Holy Spirit forbade them from speaking the word in Asia. Now when you talk about Asia, we're not talking about Asia Minor or Asia the continent. We're talking about the Roman province of Asia. So it's very small. Okay, It's on the western side of what's modern day Turkey. That little area on the end, that's Asia. Okay, So they were not allowed to go west into Asia to Ephesus at this point in time. Later on that door will open. But right now the Holy Spirit closes that door. Again, how the Holy Spirit communicated that, we're not told. Silas was a prophet. Maybe it was a prophecy. Maybe it was circumstances that somehow blocked the road and they just they realized we can't go this way right now. We don't know how the Holy Spirit communicated it, but the door clearly was closed. And Paul understood the guidance and was willing to change his plans to fit with God's will. And I think this is a, a crucial point when God chooses to short circuit uh, our plans and direct us in a new way. And so God says, no, can't go that way. He closes the door and slams it shut. So Paul trusted in God's sovereignty. He was committed to following God's plan regardless of where it left, led him. And so he is willing to change course and now go in a different direction. By the way, are, are we that nimble in the hands of God? Are we like clay that we can be formed by God's hands? Or are we like a rock? No, it's my way. i got to do it my way. Well, we need to learn to have that softness within our soul to be flexible because God's will oftentimes overrules our will. 
And so then they, we come down to verse 7. And after they came to Mysia, Mysia is this region right up in here. They came up to Mysia in verse 7, and they were trying to go into Bithynia, which is on the north. Trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Troas is basically where they're going to end up right, right, right in there. So again, they get into the area of Mysia. They say, okay, we can't go straight west to Ephesus. The Lord has shut that door. So now we're going to try to go north. So we can't go west. So we'll try to go north. And God slams that door shut. They can't go north. It's blocked again. Their way is blocked. They can't go backwards. I mean, there's no point going backwards. They can't go south because that's down where Ephesus is now. They can't go north. And so they're stuck. They're at Troas. They can't go south. Can't go down into Asia. Can't go north up into Bithynia. No point going backwards. That's no fun. You know, you've already been there. It's time to move forward. But they're stuck. And there's a big sea right in front of them. They're at Troas. They hit a big dead end. There's a big roadblock there. And Troas now is a place where their progress comes to a screeching halt. Some of us kind of find our way to Troas at times, don't we? It's kind of a time when you suddenly lose track of what God is doing in your life. You end up in Troas and you thought you knew where the Lord was taking you, but suddenly it doesn't make sense. There's confusion. Troas is a place where progress seems to come to a halt, where there's a roadblock. It's a time of indecision. What do we do next? It's a time of waiting on guidance. It's a time of, I'm not sure what to do. It's a time of of uncertainty. Lord, what are You doing? It's a time where all the doors seem to be closed and progress seems to have stopped. It's kind of feeling like a whale that's been beached on the shore. You're out of your element. You're out of your water. You're just on dry ground and you can't do anything. And sometimes the Lord brings us to the place of Troas where God seemingly has left us alone and He's silent. We can't go this way. The door's closed on this way. No point in going backwards. And we're just stuck there. We're stuck there not knowing what God's purpose or God's plan is in our life. The point we need to realize from this passage is that God's providence ordains closed doors as much as it ordains open doors. God's providence ordains times of stagnancy, times where we're in stalemate, times of inactivity where there's no direction in life, where progress seems to have been stalled or we're at a standstill. And we get perplexed about God's purpose and plan. It's time like this that I think you have no other choice 
but to just wait on God and trust that He has you where He has you for His purpose. And we need to trust in His providence and in His timing. And this, I think, is is easier said than done, isn't it? Now, I don't know how long they were there at Troas before God finally opens the door into Macedonia. Maybe it was a few hours. Maybe it was a day. Maybe it was a week. I don't know. It doesn't say. But eventually, once they got to this dead end at Troas, they can't go south, can't go north, can't go back. It seems like they've lost all connection with the, with the plan that they had. Their plan is now run aground. And they're just there waiting. They don't know what to do. And finally, in God's good timing and His good providence, Paul has a vision in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to the gospel to preach the gospel to them. So now suddenly there's, a, there's an open door that God gives to them. There's the no. And eventually, God is going to direct them in a totally new way. He's going to direct them to Macedonia. What we see from this, I think, is that God in His sovereignty uh, was short-circuiting their plans. They had a plan basically just to minister in Asia and then eventually make their way back home probably. That was their plan. It was not God's plan. And so God used His providence to shut one door into Asia, another door into Bithynia, end up in Troas, and put them on a holding cycle pattern until God revealed them what the next step of His plan would be for their lives. And at Troas, Paul gets this Macedonian call, a new direction in their ministry, a new direction that they had never envisioned at this point in time. It was not on their mind as to go over the sea into Macedonia, but that was God's plan for their life. A vision of a man of Macedonia, not sure how they knew it was a man of Macedonia, maybe by his dress or some just a divine revelation. And he said to Paul in, in this vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. And again, they'd have to cross the Aegean Sea and go over to a whole new area, which again was not a part of their original plan. But you can see the wisdom and the, the, the grace of God's providence in guiding them to Troas because at Troas, Paul will pick up another member of his team. And if, if you notice, for example, uh, down in verse 10, it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. The we is Luke. This is where Paul and Silas and Timothy now meet up for the first time with Luke, the author of this book. 
And Luke is in and out with the Apostle Paul. He shows up in three distinct places and he uses the first person pronoun to include himself, the author of the book, when he's with the Apostle Paul. And it's here at Troas that they meet up with this incredible man by the name of Luke. What do we know about Luke? Well, he's a historian par excellence. He's an incredible writer, uh, but he, he, he's a historian who, who goes to great pains to get all the details just exactly right. He writes, of course, two of the books of the New Testament. He's a Gentile convert. So he's going to have access in, in ministry to the Greeks and the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. He's also a very talented and gifted author that the Holy Spirit will inspire to write more of the New Testament than any other author in the New Testament. Even more than the Apostle Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And you add up the material in those two books and it's longer than all of Paul's letters together. He's also a physician. And if anyone needs a take-along doctor, it's Paul with all the physical abuses that he's going to be enduring throughout his ministry, he's going to need a doctor with him like, like Luke. And Luke will be a trusted, faithful co-worker with the Apostle Paul. Paul calls, it, calls uh, Luke uh, a beloved physician. He loves this man. And in 2 Timothy, and in Paul's second Roman imprisonment, right before he is executed by... Caesar, he says, only Luke is with me. Luke was a faithful man. And he was with Paul in his last hours and days before he died. And he's also a fellow worker. Paul esteemed this man greatly. See, this is part of the providence of God. That sometimes you're stuck in a Troas, you don't know what God is doing, and that you need to keep your eyes open because sometimes when you're stuck not knowing which way to go, God will bring blessings into your life which you never would have had if you weren't right there at that particular point in time waiting on the Lord. Notice also, if you will, in verse 10, it says, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding, and that's in the plural tense. So even though Paul was the one who got the vision. Paul turned and shared it with Luke and with Titus, I'm sorry, Timothy and with Silas. And they began to talk about the vision. What does it mean? Is this from God? Or did you have too much pizza last night, Paul? So, but they come together and they evaluate. This is, I think, is very, very clear in the text that the decision wasn't just made from Paul. He Once he got the vision, he wanted their input in helping him to understand what in the world does it mean. So they concluded, the four of them. And the word concluding speaks to the result of evaluation, of, of understanding with certainty. So they come together and they unite. They put their heads together. Uh, to come up with a solution or decision and understanding what this vision was that Paul uh, received from the Lord. In other words, they evaluated the call. They put the pieces of the puzzle together. 
And they ask themselves, you know, is God leading us? Is this from God? It may not be. I don't know. Is it biblical? Is this something that God would do? Will it glorify God? Will it advance the gospel? Is there any reason against not following this? They, they talked about it. They evaluated it. And they made uh, the right decision, obviously. They understood this was from the Lord. Just kind of reminds me, you know, we get all kinds of calls today. You know, you get calls on the telephone. People wanting you, you know, you owe them money. It's the IRS. You've got to give them your credit card number or all this kind of stuff. If you've ever tried to sell anything on Craigslist, which I've tried to do at times, you get all these scam calls. And uh, they, will, they will try to get you to contact them individually. They'll even send you a check for twice the amount. And then once you deposit in the bank, they'll try to convince you that, you, that now that money is there. And it's normally not. It takes five or six days for, for it to actually clear the bank. But, but there's a lot of cheats. There's a lot of scam calls out there. And the same thing in discerning guidance from the Lord. So it's always good to test the, the vision as they did, to discuss it, to evaluate it from Scripture point of view. And whatever they did, they certainly concluded this is from the Lord. And the guidance from God, I think, really caught them off guard. Uh, They considered the closed doors. They considered the open door. And they just kind of concluded this is what the Lord wants us to do. And so it says in verse... uh, 10, that uh, they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they sought to go into Macedonia. Well, as you uh, have looked at this uh, passage, there are several lessons I think we should glean from this. The first one, I think, is to learn that God oftentimes just guides us one step at a time. He doesn't give you this whole detailed itinerary up front so that you know weeks and years in advance what God is going to do with you, or where He's going to take you, or how He's going to use you. It's one step at a time. It's like Israel in the wilderness, camped out in the wilderness. They had no idea where they were going to go. They had to wait on that cloud. And when the cloud was stationary over the tabernacle, they just stayed put. And they didn't know when that cloud was going to move. It could be in a day, it could be in a month, it could be in a year. But eventually that cloud will move. That's when they break their camp and they begin to follow the cloud. But they they got their directions one step at a time. One leg of the journey at a time. Same way with Elijah. When God raised up Elijah to go confront the wicked king Ahab. And He told him that there would be no rain except by the word of the Lord. And after being raised up by God and splashing on the scene in the royal court of the king of of Israel, God then tells Elijah to go hide himself by the brook Cherith. And he goes there and he's completely removed from the scene. He doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know what God's going to do with him. He stays there for months until the brook dries up. And then God sends him way around Israel to Zarephath. And he stays with a widow for a period of time. Three and a half years later, God finally brings him back to confront the same wicked king Ahab. But God led Elijah step by step by step. And that's the way God will probably lead you 
you may not be able to perceive your future beyond the, the end of your nose. Most of us can't. But this is probably how God will, will lead you. You have to trust Him with your future because you don't know the future. You can make your plans, which is always good to make your plans, but know that God can redirect you at any time. And you have to be pliable in the hands of the Master to know that He will guide you one step at a time. So that all of our future plans and future hopes and future dreams and future desires for usefulness in the hand of God, He wisely hides from us until we need to know. It's like a soldier in military duty that goes to war. He stays put and finally he hears the order. Get your gear ready. We're moving out in the morning. Where are we going? It's not for you to know. You just be ready. And when the sergeant comes in or the superior comes in and tells you where you go, then you find out. And I think in the same way, God just, that's the way He guides us. We're soldiers in His armies. We live on a need-to-know basis. We have to learn to trust Him. That's the first lesson, I think. That's what Paul and Silas and Timothy had to learn. God's going to guide us one leg at a time. Close that door. Close that door. And finally open this door. Just wait upon the Lord. Another lesson I think is when the road ends at Troas, these are trusting times. I think uh, oftentimes when we end up at a, at a roadblock or a dead end in our life, we begin to panic. We can get very discouraged. But you see, God uses both closed doors and open doors to guide us. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus Christ speaks to the church. As the one who holds the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Troas is a waiting time. But waiting times are as much a part of God's plan as active times. Closed doors oftentimes frustrate us. They're not easy to bear. Closed doors make us feel like God has abandoned us, or He's turned away from us, or We feel useless and overlooked and it's easy to even get angry with God. When my plan, that plan I love, that plan I cherish, God has put a roadblock right there. And it's easy when we're so invested in it and our heart is so set upon it and God closes it. But if God closes a door, We need to resist the temptation to go back and think, well, only what if? Only if I had done this. Or what if I had done that? And really that's futile. Because God has led you down this path for His purpose. He has stopped you at this place. Trust Him. It's His plan that's being worked out. Even if it doesn't go exactly the way your plan wanted it to go. One of the great books I've read years ago, It's one of the Puritan classics by John Flavel. It's entitled The Mystery of Providence. And I encourage you to read that sometime. The Mystery of Providence. Because oftentimes we don't understand what God is doing. God's ways are a mystery to us. And oftentimes He makes us go to the end of the road and the bridge is out and there's a roadblock We're at Troas and we just have to wait and trust.
wait and trust. It's not a sign to go on vacation when you're at Troas or to give up or quit. Trust in God's providence. Christ is still on the throne. He will open that door when it's the right time for Him to open that door. And after all, even when you're stuck there in Troas and you can't go south and you can't go north, can't go backwards, you're just there waiting, the Great Commission is still your ultimate marching orders. You can still have a ministry right where you're at. You can still try to serve Christ and share the Gospel and live for Him right there. The old saying is that you need to bloom where you're planted. And if God plants you in Troas and you really don't know what your future holds, just serve Him there. Minister there. Live for Him there. And I think if Paul had not received the the vision ultimately to go to Macedonia, I think he would have preached and established a church in Troas. He would have bloomed where he's planted. Because sometimes we can get stuck in Troas for a long time. And God wants us to bloom wherever He puts us. Another, I think, lesson is just to be prepared for God to lead you in another direction than you had planned. The mind of man plans his way. The Lord directs his steps. John Stott in his commentary said that David Livingston tried to go into China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey planned to go to, Poly- to, go to Polynesia in the South Seas, but God guided him to India. And Adoniram Judson went to India first, and then God moved him through India and to Burma where his greatest ministry was. The key is you must always be willing to submit to God's will and to know that His will, His plan is always best. It's better than your plan. And sometimes providence will send a storm on the sea. And we're like Paul on the ship. His shipwreck to Rome or a shipwreck on Malta. But while they're out in the sea, suddenly the storm, the circumstances come through and just take control of the ship. They can't control it any longer. They're out of control. They have to give way and let the storm winds blow them where it's going to take them. And I think we can know that when our circumstances get crazy like that and they throw us off course, that God is still in control. That God is guiding and directing us and He's going to ultimately get us exactly where He wants us to be. So that's where we need to learn to submit to Him. I know people that have uh, ended up in Troas in their walk with the Lord in their ministry. And uh, it was not their plan to end up there. And instead of being flexible to give in and to go God's direction, they dug in. They got angry with God. They got bitter against God. And they ruined their life because their plan for their life and for their future ministry did not come to pass. And it so frustrated them. They were unwilling to submit and be pliable and be redirected by the hand of God. And they were frustrated to this day. Don't become bitter against God when you end up at a dead end. Be pliable in His hands. 
and expect that whenever God guides you, that it will be ultimately a place of strategic blessing in His kingdom. After several closed doors, God opened a new door. Troas was a place of, of new direction and a new member to the team, Luke. But God doesn't lead us to dead ends to just drop us off there forever, but He merely leads us there so He can make us turn in a new direction. One commentator said, before God can turn us, He must stop us. And when God closes a door and stops you, then He will open another in His good timing. So goodbye to Asia, goodbye to Bithynia, hello Macedonia and Greece. A whole new plan, a whole new direction that they had never envisioned. But by the incredible grace and providence of God, God was guiding through both closed doors and open doors, and He will do the same in your life as well. I love the hymn that says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. And the frowning providence of this closed door and that closed door eventually opened the smiling face of that open door for their ministry. So don't feel hopeless or deserted or abandoned when you're stuck at Troas in your life. When you're at a dead end. Because even dead ends are a part of His plan. That God's timing of His next open door for you is always perfect. Just wait and trust, and submit. And you'll know the joy of God and see the goodness of the Lord. God's providence is a great blessing and encouragement to His people. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father God, we do thank You, Lord, that we can watch and see how Your hand guided Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke as well. And Lord, it was not their plan. It was not their will. It was not their desire. But Lord, they were willing to submit and and to go in the direction, Lord, that Your plan set forth for them. And we thank You, Lord, for giving them that grace. And we thank You, Lord, that even in our lives as we face various closed doors and it's always easy to become discouraged, even depressed, not knowing what direction You're leading us in, Lord, a time of confusion that we can trust that either that closed door will open or You will turn us to another open door. That, Lord, it is Your providence that is such an encouragement to our hearts that You're in control of all things and You promised to lead and guide and direct Your people to accomplish Your purpose for Your glory and our ultimate good. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.